Folks, I'm going to do something that I very rarely do, is uh, preach a Mother's Day sermon. And uh, I, I've not been a, a fan of Mother's Day or Father's Day over the years, uh, because the last thing I want to do is take the focus away from Jesus. Uh, so uh, today I'm going to preach the gospel message about mothers. How's that? So bear with me. Men don't switch off. That's generally what happens. Uh, men, you start talking about mothers and, and, and women, and men switch off. So I'm going to use this as a pulpit today. How's that? The message I have today is for all of us. It's not just about mothers. It's called mothers of influence, but it's really about people of influence and how we be people of influence. But I'm going to focus on a couple of mothers today from the scriptures that might help us to understand that. Have you ever noticed, or have you noticed of recent days, maybe for some time now, that whatever God has designed and declared as good and, uh, and is amazing and is wonderful and is complex and is beautiful, the world tends to twist and make and corrupt and uh, make awful. And it could be uh, issues of marriage or uh, parenthood or um, sexuality or even childhood. Education, hope, peace, love, I could go on, couldn't I? Whatever God has designed and said is good, whatever his plan for us as his creation is, the world is twisted. Uh, by the way, you'll probably hear a few illustrations from our holiday as we go uh, over the coming weeks. I won't tell you all the whole story, I'll just ask, ask us individually about that. Cheryl and I went to Tasmania for the last uh, couple of weeks and we saw some wonderful, wonderful places. We walked up lots of steps on the walking trails. Uh, we ate, I was going to say lots of food, but we ate some food. And the exciting news is we came back the same weight that we left. So, um, so that, that's probably a good description of a good holiday, isn't it? But the sad thing that I saw over and over again was things that God has said were good and designed as good had been corrupted, whether it be for, for the sake of making money out of those things uh, or, or for selfish reasons. And it was evident everywhere that we went that um, the selfishness and sin really had a control over people's lives. And, this, and today we're, 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 take, we're taking time to honour mothers and, and motherhood and there are forces at work today in our world that want to downplay the importance of mother figures, the importance of mother figures in each person's life, even starting with the very young. I read an article that was written 6th of May, when's that? Friday, was it? Uh, by, by someone in Perth, and they were relating uh, to some actions that some early childhood centres in Sydney had taken to not recognise Mother's Day in our current climate of diversity and acceptance of people who may not be uh, considering themselves as mothers. And it went on to say that things uh, that, 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 that it can be tricky for children who come from diverse families to honour a mother if you've got two fathers and no mother and things like that. And it was so sad that those schools or those early childhood centres had chosen not to take the time out to honour mothers and motherhood 
because of it might offend some people. Where did Mother's Day come from? Most of us know, don't we? Don't we? Okay, 1904 is the year, if I recall. Uh, a lady called Anna Jarvis in the United States, I think it was Pennsylvania, um, wanted to have a service that, that honoured her mum. Her mum had passed away, but her mum had been a, a lady that had been heavily involved in sharing the love of Christ in her community in, in various ways and, and impacted many people's lives with the love of Christ. And so Anna wanted to uh, honour her mum, so at a Presbyterian church, talked to the pastor about whether they could have a, a service. And he thought it was a great idea, and so did all the people in the church, and they had this wonderful service, and it caught on. And it spread throughout the state, and uh, in many places around the United States, in many, country, in many states, they had this uh, Mother's Day celebration on the 2nd of May, second week of May, second weekend of May. Until finally in 1914, the president of the day, President Woodrow Wilson, declared that it would be a national day or national holiday to honour mothers. And what, what a wonderful story, isn't it? But you know, it became quite sad after that because it became commercialised. Uh, flowers, cards, chocolates, uh, dinners out, all that sort of stuff, which are really nice, by the way. It's a nice way to do it. But it became so commercialised that Anna felt that the original intent to honour mothers had become a business rather than a special event. And so her sad story is that for the rest of her life, until she died at the age of 84, I think it was, she spent all her money trying to take businesses and corporations and individuals to court to stop them from celebrating Mother's Day. And she died alone in a mental asylum, penniless. The things that God sees as good... I think honouring mothers is good, by the way. Honouring fathers is good too. The world takes and twists. So I think we've got to get back to doing the right thing when it comes to God's word and honouring mothers as God's word does. A popular poem that was written 150 years ago had this line in it. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Actually, the hand that rocks the the cradle is usually attached to the mother who's not getting much sleep. But we want to honour our mums. Uh, we want to honour those who, are, who have mothered us. They may not be our mums. They may be uh, significant people in our lives that have mothered us and given us guidance. Like I said, please don't turn off. Um, uh, and Andrea stole the next two paragraphs of my sermon in her intro. Thank you very much. Because mother... Mothers, the, I read this interesting article, and I think I've got it up here. This is the verse that we're going to be working on today. How are we going with that? Uh, Dan, is it uh, not working for me? You might have to click it through, mate. Yeah. Oh, that's the verse, 1, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, and it says there, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Paul writing to Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm now persuaded now lives in you also. Based on that verse, a, a, a pastor, a professor, a, a, a lecturer, James Hamilton at the Southern Baptist Seminary in the United States wrote a long article, which I'll only share a brief part of you with you this morning, about the theology of motherhood. Because so I think motherhood and mothering is more than just bearing children. 
It's having an influence on people. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. This is what he says as one paragraph about motherhood in the Bible story. The Bible story begins with a statement that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, we know that verse, don't we? And then it ends with a depiction of a dragon trying to devour a woman and her male child in Revelation 12. A child, the seed of the woman, is the Bible's main character and his life depends on his mother giving birth to him. He goes on to say, from this alone it can be seen that motherhood is vital to the main plot of the Bible, but it is not the main plot alone to which motherhood is vital. I've heard people described over the years as their spiritual father. I haven't heard anybody described as their spiritual mother that often. But I've, I had a spiritual mother and it wasn't my birth mother. It was a significant woman who invested time and encouragement into my life and her name was Auntie Annie. Oh, sorry, it wasn't my wife. She's done that. But uh, this lady was Auntie Annie. And um, uh, I respected her, valued her wisdom, and valued her encouragement as well. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul saw the evidence in Timothy's life of godly women, <coughs> pardon me, godly women who had influenced him greatly in matters of the good news of Jesus and on how to live life as a faithful follower of Jesus. So these women were spiritual influences in Timothy's life, even though his dad wasn't. And I'll go into a little bit of the context about that, in that the Bible tells us that um, Timothy's grandmother, Eunice, uh, let me get that right, no, Lois, Lois and Eunice, yeah, get that right, uh, was a Jew and she came to faith in Jesus. Uh, his mother, Eunice, was also a Jew, married to a Greek. And uh, by all accounts, the father never believed in Jesus, even though Eunice did, because she was impacted by her mum, Lois. The context is that Paul was writing to Timothy. Timothy had become a partner in the gospel as a pastor of the church in, in, the, in Ephesus. And he had been a great encouragement to Paul, so much so that Paul considered him his son in the faith. And he goes on to say, in verse 1 and 2, of, uh, uh, oh, sorry, keep on going. Verse 1 and 2 of, there we are, there, of 2 Timothy chapter 1, he writes this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know if you notice, but most of Paul's letters were written to churches, to groups of people. This is a very personal letter from Paul to Timothy. Both uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are very personal letters. And he wanted to honour God. In fact, Timothy's name means honouring. And so Paul wanted to honour God through what he'd seen in Timothy's life. Grace, mercy and peace. It's, it's a personal response to Timothy that Paul is writing this letter. He was seeing the result of godly influence in Timothy's life. It means a lot to be thought of, doesn't it? 
Have you ever got those nice emails or those nice texts or those nice phone calls or visits from someone who is just there to appreciate you and say thank you for who you are, what you've done? Well, this is what Paul was doing for Timothy. He was telling Timothy how much joy Timothy had brought into his life and seeing his growth in the faith. He was telling telling Timothy how he hadn't seen him for a while, I think it's about 11 years, and how he was feeling hollow inside because of that distance that they hadn't spent or between them, they hadn't spent time together. I sort of felt like that over the last couple of weeks, not being at church, by the way, um, in that you're not amongst people that you know reasonably well and you miss people. So I have an inkling of what Paul was feeling like then. Later in uh, Timothy's letter, I think Paul was alluding to the fact that uh, he was done with social distancing. He says this in, uh, oh, where are I? I've lost the place. No. That's all right. I'll get back to it. He says in 2 Timothy 4.9, do your best to come to me soon. So no, no room for personal distancing there. Paul writes these words from prison and he writes them to remember where the roots of Timothy's faith came from, from those influences, from the influences of Eunice and of his grandmother Lois. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, and I did get there, wasn't I? Here we are. Paul writes, he came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So that's his heritage. That's Timothy's heritage. But, but his grandmother, Lois, really loved the Lord. And she wanted to share that love, that sincere love, that genuine love with her daughter and ultimately her grandson as well. People of influence. Have there been those people of influence in your life? where you say, thank you, God, for letting that person say those tough words to me or say those words of encouragement or say those words of love and support. Thank you, God, for that person of influence in my life. Paul's reminded of, of Timothy's sincere spirituality. In some of the verses he relates, uses a phrase, a faith that lives or a faith that dwells in you. And I wonder if uh, that's the sort of faithfulness we have that people see in our lives. One Greek translation uses this, this uh, description of that word, to live in, to house in you continually, to have, have a faith that houses in you continually. That's the sort of faith that Lois and Eunice passed on. That was the legacy that they passed on to Timothy. Mothers of influence, people of influence. There are some significant uh, principles in this passage. I just want to run through five, and then I've got three ways that we can all live out this faith or this, this influence in other people's lives. There are five principles that come from this passage. Sincere Christ followers stand out. So it was obvious that Lois and Eunice were followers of Jesus. It was obvious that Timothy was a follower of Jesus, his spirituality was sincere because of the influence of Lois and Eunice. Are you reflecting the fact that you are a sincere Christ follower? Is it because someone has influenced you in that way? I trust it is. 
trust you're encouraged to follow Jesus and let that faith in Jesus stand out. Second principle is to focus on your family first. That's what they did. They made, uh, Eunice and Lois made sure that Timothy heard the gospel. He was their priority mission field, if you like. So they focused on the family first. Grandma pointed her daughter to the gospel of grace. Mum modelled her faith and mentored her own son. What a challenge for us to do as we follow Jesus. Perhaps it's not a family member that God's wanting you to influence. Perhaps it's a close neighbour or a family friend. We can still have that influence because of the faith that we have in Jesus. A Jewish proverb is said to have said this, one mother achieves more than a hundred teachers. It's all the different roles a mother has. Is more valuable than a hundred teachers. So focus on your family first. A third principle is faith is both taught and caught. Do you get that? Faith is both taught and caught. Lois and Eunice taught their faith. Timothy caught it. He understood it. He caught their faith because he saw their sincerity. He saw their genuineness. He saw their realness. And he wanted that for himself. People are watching us. I've said this before. People are watching us. They're listening to our words. Are they seeing our sincere faith in Jesus that they might catch it as well? These principles are real for us today. Well, mums, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but there are no perfect mums. Uh, there are no perfect dads. We all make mistakes. Uh, you don't have any perfect parents, because there aren't any. Do you know what? God is looking for ordinary mums in all circumstances who are faithful in ordinary ways. That's what God's looking for. One writer, Matt Chandler, I thought this is a great quote, and I'm not sure if I put it up there. This is what he says. God is awesome. He doesn't need you to be awesome. He wants you to be obedient. I can live with that. He's the awesome one. He just wants us to be obedient. So he's, there are no perfect mums. There are no perfect dads. We just need to be obedient to the one who is perfect. And the last, one, last principle is, even in a less than ideal situation, you can make an eternal impact. Some people in our congregation and amongst our friends are parenting on their own. Some people are doing it tough in very difficult places with children that are hard to manage or uh, teenagers that are rebelling. But with God's help, you're not alone. Now, thankfully, that's not the story with Lois and Eunice and, and Timothy, but that is a reality today. God was with them. He's with mums who are on a mission, who are with mums that <coughs> have got the long view in mind, not just the nappies of today and the meals of tomorrow, but the Years of uh, maturity in their children's lives. This scripture reminds us that Timothy was impacted enormously by his mother and grandmother. The gospel was heard. And there are three ways that we can be influencers of people today. These are just some principles in the scripture. These are three things that we can do. The first one is we can sow salvation. We can see the second one as well there. In Jude's uh, letter to Jude, we are told to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So it's a job, 
We are to sow salvation in everything that we do, in all our attitudes of life. Faith must be delivered to the next generation. And for those of us who are grandparents, it must be delivered to the generation beyond that too, in any way that we can influence those young lives for Jesus. Timothy heard the gospel, but he still needed to individually repent, confess his sin, and accept the salvation that was offered through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of us might have prodigal children who have once believed and then walked away from that faith. We've got to keep on sowing. We've got to keep on praying. We've got to keep on trusting that God will somehow, in his time, draw them back to himself. I found this description of a cartoon that I thought was appropriate. A little girl asked her mum a very important question. She said, Mummy, what is a Christian? The mother thought for a moment. So the other role of uh, mums is theologians, by the way, to answer those sort of questions. And replied, a Christian is a person who loves and obeys God, loves their friends, neighbours and even their enemies. They are kind and gentle and pray a lot. They look forward to going to heaven and believe knowing God is better than anything on this earth. That is a Christian. Great answer. Great answer, mum. The little girl pondered this for a few moments and asked, Mummy, have I ever seen a Christian? Hmm. Timothy saw two genuine Christians every day. Every day that he was still at home and growing up. He saw genuine Christians. There was no falsity about them. There was no phoniness about them. They were real in their faith. That's what our children and our grandchildren are looking for in us. That's what our friends are looking for in us, a real genuineness every day. No one knows better than a child whether their parents' faith is genuine or just a facade. It's sort of like the kids have a, 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 um, a fake detector, you know? I can detect whether that's real or not. And a lot of people are looking at us and they can spot it quickly too. Do our children, do our grandchildren see a godly guide in us? Do our friends, our trusted friends, see a godly guide in us? That's what having an influence is about. We need to make sure that we are sowing salvation. There's another story about a pastor, four pastors who were talking together about the influence of them of a mum. <clears throat> the influence, sorry, they're talking about the gospel and, um, and how that gospel was real. And one, past, one pastor said that, oh, sorry, it wasn't the gospel, it was the translations that they were using. One pastor said King James only, another pastor said ESV. Another pastor said the, the New Message uh, uh, Bible. And the fourth pastor thought for a moment, he said, the gospel that I really, or the Bible that I really, translation that I really value the most is my mum's translation. She translated the Bible to me in her lifestyle every day. I wonder if that's what we should be doing for our children and our friends. There's a pastor who <clears throat> had a long conversation with a guy about becoming a member of his church. When he was done, the young man said he was ready to join the church. And the pastor said, was, was, was pretty pleased. And he said, so 
what did I say that convinced you to join the church? The man answered, oh, it was nothing I heard you say. It was the way my mother lived. So her influence, her lifestyle as a follower of Jesus, as a member of the church, convinced that young man to commit his life to Christ and to become a member of the church too. We should sow salvation. We should share scripture. Most of us know this to be true. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15, Paul writes this as a part of the letter. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Who is he talking about? His grandmother and his mum. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which you are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What an incredible responsibility we have as parents and grandparents, as people of influence to share the scriptures. Share the scriptures. Why? If you believe them, you believe the promises. Romans 10 verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So if we want people to hear the message, we have to share the scriptures with them. Mothers, fathers, friends, what sort of Bible are people around you reading? Are they reading your translation, how you've translated the scriptures into your life and how you're living it out? That's the challenge for each of us, isn't it? Not only mothers of influence, but people of influence. And the third thing that we can do, the third way we can uh, influence spiritually anybody is to start serving. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, uh, we read this. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. This is Paul. This is the story of Paul, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. They spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for all knew that his father was a Greek. So what was there about Timothy that was impressive in the way he served? I think there's three things. The first thing is, oh, missed it. He was a strong believer. He was referred to as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Luke, who wrote Acts, used that word specifically for Timothy. He chose to call him a disciple. He chose to call him a follower because that's how Timothy lived out his faith. He was a strong believer. We're called to be disciples. We're called to make disciples. So if we want to be people who influence people spiritually, then we should be a strong believer. Not just a fan of Jesus, but a follower of Jesus. Timothy had a good reputation, that verse told us. He was well spoken of by the Christians who lived around him. People who knew that he was a person of integrity, as a man of the word, he was rock solid. Where did all this come from? It came from the influence of his mother and grandmother as they shared the scriptures, as they taught him how to follow Jesus. And the third thing was that Timothy was available. Paul wanted Timothy, Timothy to accompany him. He wanted to take him along and, and encourage him in ministry. And Timothy was willing to serve. So what are we doing this morning? We're honouring mothers, but we're realising that, that they can be people of influence, and many of them have been in our lives. I wonder if we have the same attitude, whether we choose to be people of influence in other people's lives because of our faith in Jesus. I want to finish this morning with a story. It's an extract from a a book uh, written by a lady called Davida Dalton, and she describes an incident that happened between her 
and her young child. And this is how it goes. And I've got to hold this up close to read it. She says, It was a busy day in our home, but then with ten children and another one on the way, every day was a bit hectic. I can imagine that. On this particular day, however, I was having trouble doing even routine chores, all because of one little boy. Len, who was three at the time, was on my heels no matter where, wherever I went. Anybody experience that? Having a kid under your feet? Yeah. Whenever I stopped to do something and turned around, I would trip over him. Several times I patiently success, suggested fun activities to keep him occupied. Wouldn't you like to play on the swing set? I asked again. But he simply smiled, and an innocent smile, and said, Oh, that's all right, Mummy. I'd rather be here with you. Then he continued to bounce happily along behind me. After stepping on his toes for the fifth time, I began to lose patience and insisted that he go outside to play with the other children. He still wouldn't go. When I asked him why he was acting this way, he looked up at me with his sweet green eyes and said, Well, Mummy, in Sunday school my teachers told me to walk in Jesus' footsteps, but I can't see him, so I'm walking in yours. That's what it's all about, isn't it? If you want to be sure that you're following in the footsteps of Jesus today, if you want to be sure that that whoever's following you is following in the footsteps of Jesus, then you really have to be right with God every day. You really have to be sowing salvation. You really have to be sharing the scriptures. You really have to be willing to serve. And I trust that you will. Let's pray. And let's be people of influence. We thank you for our mums. We can all be people of influence. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you for this example of Lois and Eunice and Timothy. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for the results of their faith. Thank you that we can learn from them today. Thank you that you can encourage us to have that spiritual influence on people around about us, whether it be our children, grandchildren, our friends, our friends' children. Father, may we be people who others want to follow in our footsteps because we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. Father, I pray that this day, as we do honour our mums, as we spend time together as families, as we hear from our children and our grandchildren, that, Lord, it will be a time of honouring you because of what you've done in our lives. May they see that. May they hear that. We ask this in Jesus' name.